I've spent some time thinking about how I can best serve you from this pulpit here at the beginning of what I hope will be many, many, many years of ministry with you all. I've been considering what texts of Scripture might be the most impactful for us, or what themes or doctrines might be most useful. And I can't seem to shake from my mind the fact that we feel, I think all of us would admit this to be true, we feel like we are living in quite the tumultuous time in history. I think some of our most poignant concerns right now might be those that have to do with things going on in the world around us. We have health concerns around us. We have family concerns around us. We have economic concerns around us. We have political. We have moral. We have social concerns around us. We have spiritual concerns around us. So many things around us leave us potentially feeling discouraged or afraid. So many things around us leave us hoping that we're in the last days. And I think if we're honest, there are a lot of times that we feel certain that we're in the last days with all that's going on. We actually probably feel, if we're honest, like we are far removed from the age of the early church. That's a distant memory to most of us. We feel as if the Lord would return at any moment, and hopefully that's true. Hopefully before I finish preaching, He will return. But we need to realize that this tension of feeling as if the Lord's return is imminent and that we are indeed in the last days, this is not a new feeling for Christians. This has been felt by every Christian at every age of the church since it began. This desire for God to come and intervene and make all things right has been the cry of God's people for ages. Psalm 6 Psalm 13, Psalm 35, Psalm 79, 80, Psalm 89, Psalm 90, Psalm 90. In all these psalms, we read the cry of the psalmist that says, How long, O Lord? How long? This is the cry of those who cannot wait for Yahweh to come and rule in righteousness. This cry even continues at the beginning of the book of Acts. In Acts 1 and verse 6, after the disciples had seen Jesus appear to them on many occasions, and right before he was taken up to heaven, they asked him this question in Acts 1, 6. They said, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Is now when it's going to happen? Is now the end? They were thinking that this end was literally upon them, that Jesus was going to usher in the final days and give the kingdom to Israel as he sat on David's throne to reign for a thousand years. And Jesus did not answer them directly in response to that verse, but he did say that the time was approaching in which the Holy Spirit would come and empower them. And as we know, it would empower them for the age of the church. And so the church was born, and a few years later, not long after this, Paul wrote a letter to the Thessalonian believers, and you might remember the context for that letter. They thought that they had missed the return of Christ. And he told them, no, they had not missed them, missed that time, and he gave further information on what that time in the future would look like. So people just a few decades after the church was born thought they had missed it. 
They were that eager for it. They thought it was coming that imminently. And now here we are 2,000 years later still feeling the same thing. And then at the end of his life, Paul told Timothy that they were actually in the last days. In 2 Timothy 3 verse 1, the apostle wrote this, In the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. That sounds like a description of our day. But if you were to read this to every Christian from now all the way back to when it was written, they would say, oh, this sounds like my day. This is the context of the last days. And then to make it really clear to Timothy that he would be ministering in the last days, the next verse in 2 Corinthians 3, Paul commanded, avoid such people. Meaning, you're going to be around them because you are in the last days. And so the last days have continued on and on and on and on, even until today. We do indeed live in the last days, as the church has for centuries. So how does Scripture comfort us in the last days? How does Scripture help us as those who live in these last evil days? Well, it helps us in a lot of ways. But there's one book in particular that I believe gives us very much help as a people who live in the last days. It's one of the last books that was written in the entire Bible. But it's not a book that we typically think of as aiming at helping those who live in the last days. We don't usually think of it as such. We often think of the book of Revelation as a book about the last days, and so it is. It's a book full of helpful descriptions about what lay ahead for the people of God when Christ is revealed in his glory. But the book that I want for us to study together for the next few months is one that was written by the same guy and written to a group of people who were struggling with how to operate in a world full of trouble. The people to whom the Apostle John composed his first letter were clearly wrestling with some of the same kinds of things that we are facing in our day today. And so as we study the book of 1 John, we're going to see that John's writings are extremely relevant and practical for those of us who live in the last days. And so if you haven't done so already, go ahead and turn with me to the book of 1 John, the book of 1 John. And as an introduction to this book this morning, I want to show you some things in the letter that clearly indicate to us that John's aim was to give pastoral help to a group of people that were wrestling with a difficult outlook in the world around them. I want you to imagine for just a moment that Grace Bible was in need of a new pastor, as we were recently. And imagine if one of the applicants was the Apostle John. I would not be standing here right now. You would have voted for him. I, I think he would know well how to pass through a group of people who lived in a time of uncertainty, in a time that felt like the end was coming. 
Well, we obviously can't have him physically come and pastor us, but we can have his letter shepherd us and pastor us. We can have his inspired writings impact us with that pastoral richness that all of us long for. We, we want that help and that shepherding. We can have his writings do that very thing to our souls. So what I hope to do over the next many weeks is to let Pastor John shepherd us by the means of the perfect words that he wrote to the church. So for today, specifically, I want to accomplish two things in this introductory sermon to the book of 1 John. First, I want to read the entire book for us, just to get it in our minds. I want us to pretend as if we are the actual recipients of this letter, as if we were sitting in a congregation listening to it being read. Remember, in the age that this was written, they didn't have the printing press. People didn't have Bibles on their iPads. They probably didn't have a Bible in their house. They just had manuscripts that would float around and people would come together and they would listen to God's Word read to them as often as they could. So we're going to pretend that we're the brothers and sisters of ages past and sit together and hear this letter read to us. And then secondly, after we finish reading the letter, we will consider how John seems indeed to be writing to a people who view themselves as living in the last days. And perhaps as we read through it, you can pick out some of those things. So let's begin together by listening to the words of John the Apostle as we read the entire book of 1 John. 1 John chapter 1 beginning in verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie. And do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, so to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him. If we keep his commandments, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. 
But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you've overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride and possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I, am, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, 
We are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared to take away sins, and in order that there is no sin, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. He cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. And by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children... Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment. That we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them, but we are from God. 
Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And so this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life.
I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us and whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is a sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and given us understanding, so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. There are so many things in this letter that are of practical help to all of us. But at the same time, John's book sometimes can be difficult to follow because he doesn't have a clear order or outline. You might have noticed that as we read through it. When I read this book, I feel like I'm sitting around Pastor John's dining room table and he's just telling me this thought and that thought and then interrupting himself and saying this, pouring out his wisdom to me. And one of the things that you might have noticed as we read through the book is John's frequent use of endearing language. He frequently refers to his readers as what? Either beloved or beloved or little children. He clearly loves these people that he's writing to. Now, follow me as I point them out to you. I have them there in the bulletin if you're following along in the notes. But if you want, maybe even follow along in your copy of the Bible and just maybe make a mark by all of them because they're an important uh, thing that is used in this this book. In verse 1 of chapter 2, he says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And then in verse 7 of chapter 2, he says, Beloved, I'm writing to you no new commandment. And then in verse 12 of chapter 2, he says, I am writing to you little children. Or little children I'm writing to you if we put that one first. Verse 18, he says, children. And then the main part of the verse says, So now many antichrists have come. In verse 28 of chapter 2, he says, Little children, abide in him. Chapter 3 and verse 2, Beloved, we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. And then in verse 7 of chapter 3, Little children, let no one deceive you. Verse 18 in chapter 3, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. A few verses later, verse 21, still in chapter 3. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. On to chapter 4, verse 1. Beloved, do not believe any spirit, but test the spirits. 
Then in verse 7 of chapter 4, Beloved, let us love one another. Same idea in verse 11. Beloved, we ought also love one another. And in the very last verse of the entire letter, it seems strange to end this way, but he says, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. That's chapter 5, verse 21. I found it very interesting as I considered these expressions that these 13 uses of endearing expressions they're all associated with instructions that are of significant value in the book it's as if he wraps all of his main points in the book around these endearing references each of those 13 things points to something that is a main idea in John's letter I've realized that all of John's main themes in this book are really contained in these 13 statements. If we know these urgent and loving expressions and we know what they're referring to, then we know his entire letter. If you've been a parent, then you know what it is to long for your children to listen to you. You might have said to them, my son, listen. I'm not acting right there when I say that. That's maybe a frequent thing that happens in my home. Or, oh, my sweet little girl, please hear me. We refer to them with a term of endearment, son, daughter, sweetie, whatever it is, and then listen with, with a longing that they would hear you. These are expressions that indicate both affection and urgency. They are things that you say to those you love whom you eagerly wish to see do the right things. And such is clearly the tone that John takes with those to whom he loves that he writes to in this letter. So from these 13 expressions, I want to briefly make the case to us that, all, that John's letter is of immense practical help for us today. And more than that, I want to make the case that these statements of affection are of necessary help for us today. We must obey and heed what John is saying because he's actually referring to each and every one of us when he says, beloved or little children. I first want us to see that John is actually referring to us specifically when he writes this. I want you to see that he would have, at least in one sense, he would have had all of us in this room in his mind when he made those statements. It may very well have been one particular congregation that he wrote this letter to, maybe in Ephesus, maybe in, in, a, in a Gentile region somewhere else, maybe in Jerusalem. We don't know exactly. But it is abundantly clear that it is for the good of all churches that he wrote this letter. We have to realize that the Apostle John is not merely referring with affection and urgency to one particular local congregation. He's actually writing with this fatherly tone to all Christians who would ever read this letter, including us, just a moment ago. And how do we know this? Well, we know that to be true. This might seem like a simple answer, but we know it to be true because this letter ended up in the Bible. This letter ended up being included with the canon of Scripture, with what is recognized as being scriptural. The early church circulated letters around that clearly bore certain marks of what we call canonicity. 
These are characteristics which indicated that a particular writing was actually scriptural and from God. They they didn't call something biblical. They recognized it as being biblical. Some of those marks had to do with content and authorship. The content of a writing had to be accurate. It had to square with the rest of Scripture, the Old Testament. And it had to, in some way, be connected with an apostle. That's why Christ gave us apostles. But one of the marks also had to do with its effect upon the people of God who read it. Something had to have a certain, noticeable, profound impact on those who heard it in order for it to be considered part of the Bible. This letter must have so clearly impacted the lives of the readers that they realized it must be circulated all around the world for believers to hear. And all who read it recognized its scriptural authority and veracity. And so it eventually was included in the canon of scripture in the New Testament. It forever became part of the Bible. And what this means for us is this. That the endearing tone that John takes in this letter is not only meant for those who read it, And John, as an apostle, would have had this in his mind. He would have known that he was writing Scripture. He would have known that it's not just for this congregation. He would have known it's for everyone who is going to read this letter for all of the history of the church. We are the beloved ones of the apostle. We are the little children to whom he writes. We are those whom he longs to see walk in the ways that he urges us to walk in. So this letter applies very much to us today. May we have the spiritual ears to hear what the loving and wise Apostle John is calling us to do as his beloved children. And may we have the grace to do and be what he's calling us to do and be. But then secondly, I want to help you see that these expressions of affection from John are for us because of what they actually say to us. Not just because... We realize that it's in the Bible and so it applies to us because it was recognized as being impactful for all the church throughout history. But we all should, also should realize that the content of these statements has to do with something that John is doing to lovingly shepherd us because it's authoritative. We should also see it to be that what he is saying to us helps us see that it is for us. And this goes back to what I was talking about at the very beginning of this sermon. We live in a day that feels like the end is coming, that it's approaching quickly. And it's easy for us to fear that the end is coming because of what we see in the world around us. We see evil and sin around us. So it's easy for us to fear. It's easy for us to dread because of the world and the evil of sinful men. It's easy for us to uh, want to see immorality in our world cease. It's easy for us to do that. It's easy for us to wish that the world would be saved and come to Christ. It's easy for us to put our attention on the evil of the world around us. That's not difficult to do because we see evil outside the church. But it's also easy, unfortunately, to overlook the ills of what is happening inside the church while we have our gaze fixed on the world. 
And notice what John was quick to do in verse 15 of chapter 2. He said, do not love the world. And then a few verses later in verse 18, notice what he said to the believers that would help them see that the end is coming. How do you know you're in the last days? And he doesn't point to something in the world. Look at verse 18. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know it is the last hour. We know it's the last time, not because of what's going on in the world. We know it's the last hour because false teachers are coming to the church. So we realize it's the last days, not because of what's going on in the world, but because of what's going on in the church. What I think John is trying to do in this letter is help us to to see that the church itself is in need of our attention more so even than the world is. That's why John is urgently trying to convey to those he loves that these things are very important. It is what John is lovingly and urging, urgently trying to convey to us. If you consider the list of loving expressions, and I listed them out for you, they all have to do with the purity and the riches of the church. If you notice, none of them have to do with our impact on the world. They all have to do with us as a pure and holy church. I won't take the time to go over all of them specifically, but if you were to survey these 13 endearing statements, we would see that John is concerned that the church work on these things. He wants the church to stop sinning. He wants the church to stop disobeying God's commandments. He wants the church to stop listening to false teachers. He wants the church to stop failing to cling to Christ alone. He wants the church to stop wavering and doubting. And he wants the church to stop being unloving to each other. He wouldn't have to remind them or command them to love each other if they weren't having a problem with it, right? So the command itself is indicating what they were struggling with. He wouldn't have to command them to stop loving the world if they weren't struggling with it. He wouldn't have to command them to to stop letting false teachers in if they were having a problem with it. This is what the 13 statements revealed to us about John's heart for the church. His heart in these statements says nothing about the church's relationship to the world, actually. He is fully concerned with the church's relationship to God, to truth, and to each other. In other words, John wants the church to be concerned about the church more than it is concerned about the world. John wants us to be more concerned about us as a church than we are concerned about the things in the world. Even in the last days, and especially in the last days, God's people are to be more concerned about their purity and their holiness and their obedience and their worship than they are concerned about all the evil that's going on in the world around them. Notice it's been going on like a well-oiled machine for 2,000 years since the church started. But continually attacks come at the church. And Christ promised that the gates of hell would not prevail against it in Matthew 16. But one of the reasons it doesn't prevail is because he over and over and over again compels us as his people to focus on making sure that we are pure. Even in this letter, 
those who are waiting, those who are looking, purify themselves as he is pure. So we're going to see as we study this letter that the instructions are for us who are concerned about things going on in the, in the end times, in the last days, in an evil world, for us to get our attention focused back where it should be, on being the people of God that we ought to be, not overly concerned about the matters of the evil world. So this letter from Pastor John is to us and for us. It is to us so that we might hear his loving heart. And it is for us that we might become the kind of church that we must be in these last days. And I am very excited to study it with you. I can't wait. And I hope it will be of immense benefit to all of our hearts as we study it in the days ahead. Let's close in prayer. Father, we're grateful for your word and its power and for its precision and its clarity and its power and all that it is for us. We ask that as we study this letter from your beloved apostle, that we would understand truly what he would have the church know. That we would follow this book wherever it takes us. That we would change however it demands we change in our thinking, in our affections, in our behavior, so that we might be the kind of church that you would have us to be. We're not large in number, but we are still your church. And so this letter very clearly applies to each and every one of us as your people joined together. May we have the courage and the grace to obey, the courage and grace to love one another as we ought, and to love your word above all else. Thank you for bringing us together today to study and to worship, and we ask that we would go from this place changed, ready to walk in holiness as you command. This letter deals often with false teachers and with false Christians. May we not unnecessarily question our conversion, Father, but may we do the duty of evaluating ourselves. It is always possible in a church, even the most holy-looking church, even the most faithful and obedient church, for there to be those who identify with it as individuals who are not truly converted. And as we go through this letter, may you powerfully work in our hearts to reveal if maybe one of us is not truly your child. That would be a glorious work that you would do, to take one who is falsely assured and help them to see how they must truly turn to Christ and repent. Would you perhaps do that work for your glory and for the honor of Christ? We ask all of these things in his name. Amen.